Okay, I'm going to pray for Gordy. So those of you who are making your way back to your seats, just come quietly. I, w I won't start calling you by name. I know you can come back quietly. I totally believe it. Are you excited? I am. You are? Yeah. Good. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Jesus, for Gordy. Lord, you, you're doing so much right now in the vineyard. And you've perfectly positioned Gordy yet. Just for such a time as this, our primaries are studying Esther right now. And, and you have brought the events in Gordy's life, the experiences that he's had, the way that you've worked in and softened his heart. And, uh, and we are so privileged to have one of the key leaders in the vineyard here with us today. We're so privileged to have one of our national leadership team members here with us today. I just feel that I'm to honor you this morning, Gordy. So often we just see you as the guy that moved the benches around this week or, you know, you're so willing to loan us your car or hold a baby or whatever. But I just feel that I'm to honor you today before you begin today. So, so I would ask just in your hearts as I'm praying for Gordy, would you look at him this morning and welcome him and acknowledge him as one of our national team leaders and as one of the people who have been one of the key authors of this document for our church and for our movement. And so I know that this might seem a little crazy, but in the spirit, God asks us to do all kinds of different things. And so just out of obedience, I want to ask friends that you would welcome this morning the way that we would welcome any other member of our national leadership team who would be coming to speak to us today. So would you please welcome our, our one of our regional directors, one of our national directors and the author, uh, one of the co-authors of this document we're going to be studying this morning. Would you welcome Gordy Lagore to speak to us this morning? Uh, thanks. That was sweet. Thank you so much. Uh, in the spirit of honoring, um, uh, my parents love to listen in on our podcast from Calgary, and this past week my 82-year-old father uh, put in a lot of hours on this place. Uh, he helped me move two heavy pews up there, and he reattached them here, the two, two rows here at the front. He helped me take these big uh, rails from the chapel downstairs and carry them out, outside and around and up, and then he found a way to attach them to the floor. Uh, he, he made a little wheelchair ramp for Veronica over there at the back. Um, he, he repaired a stair that was actually damaged over here. Uh, he put shelves up in the office. Um, yeah, he just did a lot of work. And uh, so he also did, did some work for us at home. And uh, so I'm very, very grateful uh, to dad for that because uh, it, it would have eventually got done but he just came and <laughs> accelerated it so can you please thank dad father <laughs> listening in <laughs> and no injuries for him or for me <laughs> so thanks dad love you and love you mom yeah so, um, 
So yeah, I, I'm going to be sharing a little bit from a, uh, what the New York Times calls the most insightful study of evangelical religion in years, a book called When God Talks Back. Uh, this was written by a researcher and anthropologist named Tanya Luhrmann. And um, she uh, completely, from an objective point of view, embedded herself into a vineyard church in Chicago and for two years wasn't, got involved in every aspect of the church life. And in this, uh, it's, it's a wonderful book totally, but the, the first chapter is probably the best introduction I have ever seen to the vineyard. It's better than our vineyard vision classes. And uh, this is from an outsider, just looking in and, and studying our history and our story. So highly recommend the book. Um, um, I'm gonna be lending it to Joanna, but I'm happy for it to be to go around the church for those of you that want to read it. And some of, some of what I'm going to share today came from, there are, what, what I loved about it is there, was things I, there, there were things I found out about us <laughs> that I didn't know. Uh, it took an outsider to, to find that out for me. So uh, if you're just joining us today, big welcome. And we're going through a series called Encounter Jesus, uh, Live the Story. It's the summary sentence for our new fusion document that you will find on our national website. We also have some copies available at the back table. This is, when we call it fusion, we mean it's an integration. It's a fusion of three things. It's a fusion of our vision and our mission. Our vision and mission is simply a declaration of our preferred future. It's a declaration of where we're going. Um, but it also includes another element, and that is our statement of faith. That our vision and, myth, uh, vision and mission, our, our, our statement of a preferred future, is based on what we believe. And what we believe came to us not by the Apostles' Creed or the other creeds of the church, as wonderful as they are. How did it come to us? It came to us through a story. And so we are in a story uh, we have found ourselves a part of, and a story has a beginning. I think I'm going to use the other mic. Is that all right? All right. So we, we are in a story that has a beginning and it has an ending. And we're, we're in the middle of that story and it means we're going somewhere. Which was a new concept to a lot of the ancients. Uh, the ancients had this idea that history was in this meaningless cycle. But God called a man named Abraham, and he said, hey, you're not, there, there are cycles, and, there, it, and in some ways cycles, we, we experience them, do, don't we, with the seasons, fall, winter, spring, summer. But you know what I noticed? I'm old enough to know this now. That even though you have four different seasons every year, I've never found a season that's the same. So there's, there is cycles, but they're, they're more like this. We're going somewhere, right? And, um, and so God has put pilgrimage in our heart. God has put within you and I a genetic code that says we were born to go somewhere with him. There's a preferred future. And so that is, that is our story. That is our statement of faith. I'm going to put the book over here with my coffee. They get along really well. So to give a biblical context, 
Today I want to talk about the vineyard story within the context of the biblical story. And the biblical story, if you can go to that next slide, Esther, is, as we said last week, it has four elements. First of all, it had an idyllic beginning. We were in paradise where everybody was great. We were chilling with the plants and the vegetables and the animals, and the skunks weren't spraying us, and the, the lions weren't eating us, and it was all lots of fun until Adam and Eve decided that they would try to do it on their own. They would go their own way. They would invent their own story apart from God. And so God came, and this is probably one of the most tragic verses in the Bible. It, 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 it's what happens when God comes, and God almost seems innocent about this. He seems to, you know, um, we know he's omniscient, so I don't want to teach false doctrine here. But, but it's like he goes, Adam, remember it says that in the cool of the day, the Lord God came walking in the garden. It seems like God had a habit of every day coming down and just having a, a visit with Adam and Eve. And I'm sure they went for walks. Maybe they took a tour through the stars, the galaxies. I mean, can you imagine to have God come down and just say, hey, let's go for a walk. I walk with Jesus over to Trout Lake every day, but I don't see him that much, right? And, and so just this, I, I, I think, in the heart of God, as humanity was the crown of his creation. And humanity was created in his image. And just the joy that he was experiencing. And I'm sure it was a triune company. The Father, Son, and Spirit somehow were all in that. And they came down and to where Adam and Eve were and they couldn't find them. So they said, Adam, where are you? And of course, we know that they were hiding. They were uh, uh, afraid. And, and, and they said to God, they said, we, we, we were naked and we were afraid and we felt exposed. They, they were feeling what Larry Crabb calls a hostile shyness. A hostile shyness. This sense where we create our own hell. You see, what sin does is it creates a hell of it isolation and independence and so we know the result of that for their own protection is they were banned from the garden they were expelled but before they were expelled from that garden God said to the serpent that had deceived Adam and Eve there was actually a, a rebuke to the serpent but it came in the form of a promise to them where he said to the woman he said to Eve specifically listen you ladies here's what God said to the women he said he said to Eve, I will put enmity uh, between the woman and the serpent and between your offspring and hers. And I will crush your head, and, or sorry, the offspring will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Of course, we know that was a de description of, of Jesus who came to an obedient woman, through an obedient woman, came into the world and through the cross he crushed the serpent's head but his heel was bruised as he died on that cross. And so the story in, in, in this is of a paradise lost. And then we have a creator on a mission to make everything right but he has chosen not to do this apart from people. In Genesis chapter 12, 
If you can just go to the next uh, slide, Esther. Uh, we have God calling Abraham. It says, And the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who curse you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the creator went on a mission to restore the world, to make everything right. But he's chosen not to do it apart from humanity. Which is really exciting, but it's also really risky. It's crazy. It's going to involve some scandalous grace. And even Abraham himself was turned out to be a deceiver and a liar, and he messed up a few times. And so missiologists like um, uh, Ralph Winter and others have said that there are two aspects to this covenant. There's one called the top line of the covenant. The top line of the covenant says this, I will bless you. And then there's a bottom line of the covenant that says, and you will be a blessing. And the problem with the people of God through history is they've always gotten fixated on the top line and they forgot the bottom line. And when that happens, things go bad. Things go wrong. And, and we find this right up to, through the story of Israel in the Old Testament is that when it became all about them and forgot the bottom line, then often God had to uh, address that with discipline. And we see that in the story of Jonah. Jonah, the book of Jonah is actually a prophetic story of the, the story of Israel. Is that he was this guy that, that was a picture of Israel's ethnocentricity. I'm not going to go preach to those guys. I'm not going to go preach to... I'm kind of feeling goosebumps right now as I'm saying this. You know why? I don't know if you've been following the news. But you know who some of the earliest Christians in history were? They were called Assyrians. They're part of the Eastern Church. And there was a great openness to the gospel when missionaries went to Assyria because of the, the groundwork that Jonah had laid centuries before. And right now in the news this week, they've been find, they found Jonah's uh, tomb, and it was actually destroyed by ISIS. But uh, the, a lot of these artifacts from the Assyrian Church and the Assyrian history have been in the news this week. And uh, Jonah, of course, I'm not going to go preach to those guys because they'd been bad guys to Israel. And he, he meant he would have to be forgiving and he'd have to be merciful and he'd have to love them even though they'd, been, they'd crucified his people and, and imprisoned them and killed and, and, and pillaged uh, Israel. And so Jonah became a picture of Israel. And so this blessing, this blessing, I will bless you and through you all the families of the earth that God gave to Israel was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, the ultimate Israeli, the ultimate Jew. He was born and there was a fulfillment. And it came because as Joan, forget her last name, says, God became one of us. <laughs> Not Joan Baez, I was thinking Joan Baez. Joan Osborne, that's right. See, that dates me a little bit there. Um, and um, God became one of us. And how could he become one of us? Because of an obedient 
Woman, she's behind there. <laughs> Somebody hit Mary today. <laughs> All right. But we, we kind of undervalue Mary as Protestants. We need to understand that she was an obedient woman and she's blessed among all women. And because of her, the Greek Orthodox call her the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the birth-giver of God. And because of her, God became a human being. And he walked on this earth announcing the reign of God, calling disciples to join him in his mission. But like Abraham and a lot of Israel in the old, the disciples just didn't get it. That's why God had to call some women to also join the disciples. And so he said, encounter me, but as you encounter me, you will live the story. To encounter me is to live that story. That's what it's all about. And so we come to our text, which is in Luke. All that to introduce you to our text. This is a story about a Jesus encounter that the disciples had. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. There's a lot in Luke about prayer. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and they had the Toronto blessing. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Verse 30, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Now, can you imagine Peter and the guys? What a trip. I mean, they're, they're, not only does Jesus just turn blazing light, but these two ultimate heroes from the Old Testament, one representing the law, the other representing the prophets, and they're, having a, they're just having a coffee together up there. Verse 31, they spoke about his departure. In the Greek, that word departure is exodus. Again, the whole, in, in the setting of Israel's story, there's that going on here, when, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Verse 33, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. Anybody relate? Hmm? Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Now, before we go to the next slide, we're going to continue reading this text. Let's just say that they had an encounter here. They had a, a vineyard-type encounter. Some of the stories I'm going to tell you today, similar encounters have occurred in our story, and they're continuing to happen. But so often, we get off track like Peter did. We get caught up with the encounter. We, wanna, we don't want to lose this moment. We say, you know, we don't shake and rock on the floor as much as we used to. We don't roar like lions. It's left. Like Peter, we kind of want to keep that moment. But the encounter with Jesus takes us somewhere. And here's where it goes. Verse 9, uh, verse 37 uh, of chapter 9. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met them. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. That phrase, look at my son, just really stands off the page at me. Because encounters with God cause you to see. 
people who were formerly invisible. And there's so many times in the gospel where the first step towards a miracle that Jesus did is as he saw that person or he looked on that person. He beheld them. And this father knows that it's so important for his son to be seen. Up to this point, he was the subject of a doctrinal debate, an ethical controversy between the Pharisees and the teachers and professors of the law. And the father cries out, would you just see him as a human being? He's a person. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. Can you imagine that happening to your child? Having to watch that over and over and over again. Another gospel, it says he would throw himself into the fire sometimes. Verse 40, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Mm. I'm kind of relating with the disciples again there. Verse 41, Jesus says, It's okay, guys, you tried. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> 41, you unbelieving and perverse generation. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? <laughs> I'll tell you what, Jesus kicks ass, man. I'm serious. He's, he's a pretty tough coach. You unbelieving and perfect gener perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And even while the boy was coming, the demon knew his time was up, didn't he? That demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. That word amazed happens all through the Gospels. They were amazed. We were talking on Friday night about worship. Worship is our response to the advancing kingdom. We're amazed as the kingdom of God breaks in. Through history, movements where God used fallible people, they got it wrong. The disciples got it wrong. But God has chosen not to do it any other way. He, chose, he has chosen to do it through you and I. We're fallible, we're weak, we're like Peter, who are on top of the mountain one moment and full of faith in the Spirit and then denying him in the very next moment. We're like that. We're fickle and, and, and undependable. But God chooses to use Fallible people, messed up people, broken people, sinful people. He somehow has risked it all on us, and we've really screwed it up sometimes, haven't we? And that's kind of my sermonic sentence, so if that's it. So we're going to have a vineyard quiz. Can we do that? The vineyard quiz. We're going to go through vineyard history. And we're going to talk about the encounter with Jesus, live the story that the Lord has brought the vineyard movement into, which somehow by his sovereignty, I and you have found ourselves in. Stuck in this motley crew called the vineyard. And the vineyard is just one thread in God's tapestry of his people through history. We're part of an incredible tradition, incredible uh, story, the Anglicans. And the vineyard, incredible relationship in, in especially the 90s, 80s and 90s. 
So there's the weaving here. So when I talk about the vineyard, I'm not just talking about one denomination or one movement. There's definitely cross-pollination. Uh, it's a hard to find evangelical church today to walk into that doesn't look or sound like a vineyard when you walk into it now. But what was God up to with this idea of the vineyard? So the first question I have is, who founded the first vineyard church and where was it planted? Who knows the answer? Raise your hand. Kenny Rogers? Got the Kenny Rogers? We got the first name right. <laughs> Mark. Oh, you're scratching your head. Okay. <laughs> All right, are you ready? It was in California. What city? Wilbur? Wimber? No, actually it wasn't John Wimber. No. No, he didn't, he didn't found the vineyard. Are you ready? Okay, the first vineyard church plant in history was in the city of Hollywood, California. A, a very humble, uh, unassuming couple named Ken and Joni Gullickson, who were with an organization called Calvary Chapel. And they began to sense that God was doing something different than a normal Calvary Chapel. I'll talk about Calvary Chapel a bit more in a minute because Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard are very connected in our story, in our history. But Calvary Chapels were, were a church planting movement. And these guys went into Hollywood where so many people had failed at church planting in Hollywood. And the Spirit of God breathed on this church and within a short period of time they had seven churches planted in the Hollywood area. All right, who first gave the Vineyard churches their name? And why were they called the vineyard? Anybody know the answer to that? Who gave them their name? Nice try. Wimber is a good bat in the vineyard. <laughs> Anybody know? It's kind of, it's, I kind of gave it away. It's the same guy, Ken Gullickson. But the, the reason they called it the vineyard is one time they were sensing the Lord breathing on the vineyard and God was bringing all these Hollywood actors and actresses and people from uh, Beverly Hills into the church and people were being baptized on the California beaches. And this, this uh, couple was seeking the Lord and they felt that God was doing something different and the Lord spoke to them this prophetic word from Isaiah 27. Let's read it together. In that day, let's all read it together. In that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. I believe that's the blessing of the vineyard. That's the blessing that God has promised us. Fruitfulness, water, provision, protection. Day and night. But let's not forget the bottom line. That's the top line, right? The bottom line is in the middle of it. Fruitfulness, right? So that's little, okay, next question. Who was the musical legend who joined the first vineyard church and uh, was, just changed the face of, of, the, of music worldwide? Who was the first musical legend that joined the vineyard? Anybody remember his name? Huh? All right, show the picture, show the picture. Did you know Bob Dylan was part of the very first vineyard in history? Yeah. So when he gave his life to the Lord, he was discipled in a vineyard. 
Uh, can you name some other uh, household names that were in that first vineyard? Uh, later, but I'm, I'm meaning musicians right now. I'm thinking of musicians. I heard, I heard some later, earlier. Keith Green. Yeah, another one. Any others? David Roos. He planted a Hollywood vineyard later. Yeah, that's a good point. But it wasn't those ones. Yeah. Hey, let's show some of these pictures. Anybody know this guy? Who's this guy? Larry Norman. Larry Norman was in the very first vineyard, and he lived in a time when we can thank this guy because now we can have these in the church. Because when he came along, everybody believed it was of the devil to have these in church. And they believed, there was, I heard teaching, sorry dad, I heard teaching <laughs> growing up, that my dad didn't do it, but there were, there were people that came through that said rock music was of the devil. So, Larry Norman wrote a song. Are you ready? Why should the devil have all the good music? <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. And then I like to, Jesus is the rock and he rolled my blues away. Remember that one? Oh, bless Larry Norman. He's with Jesus now. <gasps> now, there's another guy. Have you ever heard these guys called Love Song? That band was in the first vineyard. There's a guy that led them. Next slide. Chuck Gerard. I believe it's because of these guys. One of, these, one of the reasons I'm a Christian today was these guys. Because I loved rock music growing up. And as a, as a Pentecostal kid, I just felt this dichotomy. I couldn't be who I was and still be a Christian. And these guys came along and they started singing uh, Christian rock and worship rock. And in came the the drums and the guitars and the bass and the demons were no longer in them. Hallelujah. All right, who knows these guys? Oh, yeah. Keith and Melody Green, founders of Last Days Ministries before they moved to Texas. They were actually in a vineyard, in this first vineyard. Pretty amazing, eh? And they sang songs like, Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Remember that one? Or how about this one? There is a redeemer, Jesus, God's own son, precious lamb of God, Messiah, holy one. Now, it's very important to know that there was a spiritual awakening that gave birth to the Calvary chapels and to the vineyard and greatly influenced the vineyard movement in that a lot of people that were saved in that spiritual awakening were actually became leaders in the vineyard. Does anybody know what that movement was called? It was a great, it was a, probably the greatest spiritual awakening arguably in American history, North American history. The Jesus people. So let's, I'll, I'm gonna take you through this. Uh, some of you will not remember this. But there was a, um, there, there, was, there was kind of a sociological shockwave that happened in 1963, all at the same time. JFK was killed, assassinated. At the same time, the Vietnam War was, was moving into full swing. And then thirdly, there was a, a rock group out of England that did a tour across the North America at that time. And the Beatles said that it was like this, it was like this supernatural 
hunger in North American youth for the material. They almost felt like this supernatural uh, our, uh, creativity. And it, it created a whole generation that said, tune in, turn on, and drop out. They became disillusioned with materialism, with greed, with the North American dream. And it was like, if it feels good, do it. Give peace a chance. Make love, not war. And we saw the Haight-Ashbury, just they all crowded into Haight-Ashbury and Woodstock. Many huge music festivals got stoned on LSD. And there was a huge bewilderment in the establishment exhibited by Ronald Reagan who said, a hippie is someone who dresses like Tarzan, has hair like Jane, and smells like cheetah. Society didn't know what to do with them. Next slide. So they, their motto was make love, not war. Because of the fact of the, the Vietnam War, they saw their young men and women getting their, losing their lives in a war that just did not make any, any sense at all. But even though society was bewildered by all this, people like Billy Graham, a fellow by the name of Chuck Smith from Southern California, they saw all this as a cry for God. They saw this as a quest for God and I'm so glad for their vision I'm so glad they didn't write off that generation and right in the middle of Haight-Ashbury the center of it all God started do, doing something there was a little Baptist pastor saw all these kids run away from home laying around stone on the streets and he began to call their parents and help them get back home again before they died on the streets of Haight-Ashbury and there were so many that were needing a home. They opened up a community house and kids were piling in. They had to start another one and another one. And then all of these, they started discipling them. They started coming to Jesus. They started get, getting them into the Bible. And these community houses, literally hundreds of thousands of kids poured into these community houses. And one of them had, was a young man by the name of Lonnie Frisbee. And Lonnie Frisbee, uh, as many of you know, was an incredible prophetic type of guy. And he would walk along a beach. You can just show the next picture. This is in Southern California. And he would, he would reach out his hand. Just next slide. He would reach out his hand. And he would just say to all the, all the hippies on the beaches, Jesus loves you. Come to Jesus. And they would literally get up from their towels that they were sitting on and come running and get baptized in the ocean. And Chuck Smith, who was pastoring a little Calvary chapel of how many people at the time? Two dozen people. Said to his board, we got to make a place for these guys. And so the, Lonnie Frisbee came to his door and, and he said, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll preach Sunday, you preach Wednesday. Well, the little place started exploding. Hippies walked in with their bare feet and their sandals, and the board got mad. And Chuck Smith yelled at them and said, then rip up the carpets if you're so worried about the carpets. And they started packing that little place out. And it grew from two dozen to 300 in a couple of weeks. So within a couple of years, they were over six, 7,000 people in a 2,300 seat, seat three times on a Sunday, jammed with beaded, long-haired, bell-bottomed, hippies. And this swept across North America, and it happened here in Canada. I was a little bit younger than the, than the youth of that time, but I still, as a teenager, coming into that 
that era still felt the impact of that as people came to Christ. And Time Magazine featured a cover article called The Jesus Revolution. So the question is, the vineyard, who was the hippie who prayed, come Holy Spirit, and made it a classic vineyard prayer? It was Lonnie. Now I'm going to tell you where Lonnie and the vineyard came together in a minute. There's a, there's a great documentary that's available, I think, even on YouTube on Lonnie Frisbee, and I'd encourage you to watch it. It's an incredible, glorious, heartbreaking story. It's all of those. Everything I said about the scandal of grace, that's Lonnie's story, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit about that. But what happened is, what significant event do historians point to? Oh, let's just see a picture of Lonnie. Did, I, did you see it? There he is. That's Lonnie. There's some, by the way, great YouTube. Just, just go to YouTube, Lonnie Frisbee. Incredible little vignettes of his preaching. It's, it's incredible. The, the documentation we still have. Um, so the next question, what significant event do historians point to that launched the vineyard from a small group of churches into an international movement? Does anybody know? Rick. The Jesus movement was the revival, but there was a, an event that happened at a particular day that just, uh, just catapulted the vineyard into an international movement, just almost overnight. It was. He, the vineyard had been going for several years. And what had happened was that seven group of... Now, this Ken Gullickson, he's still... He must be in his 70s or 80s now. I don't know. He's still planting churches. Still going around. Hardly anybody knows him. He's back under Calvary Chapel now because after seven vineyards were planted, he all of a sudden felt that God was leading him back into the Calvary Chapel and that he needed to give those seven vineyards away to another leader. And that leader was John Wimber. Now, John Wimber was a Quaker... He'd been a, a, the manager of the Righteous Brothers, I think he, the rock band, I think he'd played, not Kenny Rogers, but that was close. He knew Kenny Rogers, although. Um, and uh, he looks like Kenny Rogers, too. It's true. And he, through drugs, alcohol, a near divorce, came to Christ, became part of a, a very conservative Quaker church. Remember the testimony? 200 people in the church. He started reaching people for Christ and bringing them into Bible studies, and he was leading 11 Bible studies a week because their people were so hungry. And remember the church grew to 800 people because of the hunger for God, and this little lady at the back of the church said, you wrecked my church. You wrecked my nice, quiet, beautiful, comfy little church. And he said, yeah, you're right. I did mess up your church. I'm sorry. But what could I do? I can't leave them out there. Jesus found me. I had to rest. I had to go. I had to bring them there. So after a period of time, he resigned from, he became a pastor of that church. Then he resigned there and, and began to work at Fuller Seminary and travel as a specialist in church growth. And the Holy Spirit, just from his testimony, you, you, many of you will remember in I'm a Fool for Christ, Whose Fool Are You? He talks about how that God just started kind of what David Roos calls Cato-ing him. Do you remember Cato, the guy in, in the Pink Panther? He'd always ambush. You don't remember Cato? Oh, oh! He's the guy that would always attack Peter Sellers, you know, when he would come from. He was supposed to be his buddy, but he'd always ambush him. 
And it's kind of what the Holy Spirit is like. And God started doing that to John Wimber. And so the Lord told him to go home and plant a church. And, and his wife, Carol, went through two weeks of repentance where she was so broken that she couldn't even take off her sunglasses for two weeks. She wept on the floor in her house. Because it's a few years ago, John Wimber had had an experience where their boy had been stung by bees and had swollen up and was dying, you know, because of that shock thing that happens with, with allergy. And John Wimber started praying for his little boy, and tongues came out. And the boy was instantly healed. And Carol and some of the church elders came up to John later and said, you know that tongues thing? That's, we don't know what happened there, but don't, don't get involved in that. And, they, and, and, and it was like they shut it down. And Carol, years later, the Holy Spirit just said, you shut down the Holy Spirit. So she repented for two solid weeks. And then the Lord led them to start a, a home group that rather, you know, a lot of, up to that time, worship was kind of like a, a precursor to the word. And, they, and the Lord just said, I want you in worship to expect to encounter me. And so they would worship for an hour in this home group, just seeking the Lord. And it grew to 25, to 30, to 50, to 100. Well, the Quakers asked them to leave. And so uh, Calvary Chapel adopted them for a season. But because the gifts of the Spirit and the working of the Spirit was so much a part of their common life, Calvary Chapel theologically believed in that, but they didn't like it in the public gatherings. They thought it was... It, it was, it was, it made them uncomfortable, and they preferred it to be kind of pushed into home groups and, and, and kind of on the side. And so there was an amicable parting of ways where Chuck Smith blessed Wimber to take on the vineyards. And the vineyards came to Wimber and asked that his Calvary Chapel become a vineyard, and he took on the leadership of, of the movement. So that's a little bit of the story of what happened. But what happened on Mother's Day and what I'll do is, this is Tanya Lorman's quotation of Carol Wimber's account of when Lonnie Cris Frisbee, they'd been, remember that story where Wimber had started preaching through the book of Luke and he realized, I can't, we can't do this if we don't do healing. If you take healing out of Luke, it's just chapter headings. And so he said to his people, when are we going to do this stuff? Let's start doing it. So they started praying for the sick. You remember that? Remember the sick people made them sick? Yeah. The people that were trying to heal people got sick because the people that were sick spread their disease to them. And this happened for the first year. People got worse instead of better. And then remember after one year, he, he didn't even believe anymore, but he kind of went through the motions and this lady got healed and he went, we got one. Remember that one? So, so they started seeing healing and this went on for a couple years. But then on Mother's Day, 1980, everybody say Mother's Day. 1980. Now, why did God pick Mother's Day? I don't know. Yeah. Joanna's got it figured out. Yeah. So, here's how Carol Wimber remembers the moment this time. She said, Lonnie was invited to preach, and he shared his testimony. Lonnie's got an incredible story. I mean, he came to Jesus stoned on LSD. And actually, Jesus and LSD, they kind of were together for a while. Yeah. Isn't God amazing? He, he just takes us in process and works with us. Doesn't, doesn't you know, we, 
We like to catch fish and have somebody else clean them, you know. But, but God says, no, you take them with warts and all, right? So the young man shared his testimony, which was beautiful and stirring, and asked for all people under the age of 25, two-thirds of the congregation. We got a new youth group, by the way. Oh, man, these guys are wild. So he asked for all the people under 25, two-thirds of the church, which was about 700 at this point, to come forward. None of us had a clue to what was going to happen next. When they got to the front, the speaker said, for years now, the Holy Spirit has been grieved by the church, but he's getting over it. And then he said this, come Holy Spirit. And Carol writes, and he came. One fellow, Tim, started bouncing. His arms flung out and he fell over, but one of his hands accidentally hit a mic stand and he took it down with him. He was tangled up in the cord with the mic next to his mouth and he began speaking in tongues. So the sound went through the whole gymnasium because now we were meeting in a high school. We had never considered ourselves charismatics and certainly had never placed emphasis on tongues. We'd seen a few people tremble and fall before and we had seen many healings, but this was different. The majority of young people were shaking and falling over. At one point, it looked like a battlefield scene. Bodies were everywhere. People were weeping, wailing, and speaking in tongues. Much shouting and loud behavior. And there was Tim in the middle of it all, babbling into the microphone. So Wimber said that he spent that night awake, reading and rereading the scriptures, searching for the words, come Holy Spirit, in vain. But he read Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney and what would happen in the Great Awakenings. And by the morning, he had decided that these phenomena were, in fact, experiences from God. And then it goes on. It just kind of, uh, the rest, as they say, was, was history. So a couple more questions. You guys are getting versed in our history now. What was the first vineyard church in Canada and who planted it? Joanna got it. It was a different name. It was the Langley Vineyard. It was planted by Gary and Joy Best and by Joe and Charmaine Kelder. They co-planted the church in 1985. And in 1989, Joe and Charmaine were sent out to plant VEV. So we're grandparents of the grandkids of the first vineyard in Canada. So how many vineyard churches are in the world now? Anybody know? 1,300. Not bad. Pretty close. There's 1,500 churches. And where is the church growing the fastest in the world today? Southeast Asia, Himalayan regions, India, Indonesia, church planters exploding. How many vineyards are there in Canada? Oh, 50 in Canada. You guys have been struggling, so I thought it'd help you out a little bit. So. That's a little bit of the story. Um, I have to hear the prayer of Jabez. How many remember the prayer of Jabez from 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Chronicles 4.10? Next slide, I think. Yeah, just go ahead, I think it's one more, is it? Yeah. So uh, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit. But the prayer of Jabez is where this guy was in a lot of trouble and he cried out. It says he cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, bless me enlarge my territory and keep me from evil. And it says the Lord heard him and answered him. 
and it became a famous prayer in North America. I got, I got a little troubled by it, and I stopped praying, but I, I recently started praying it again because I found the Abrahamic version of the prayer of Jabez. Here it is. Lord, bless me, enlarge my territory, keep me from evil, that I may be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Do you want to be a blessing? You need to be blessed if you're going to be a blessing. And the blessing of the vineyard was given. Let's go back to the ones before uh, the, where it's the fusion document, Esther. Just why don't we read this again? This was just the first paragraph. Encounter Jesus, live the story. Let's all read together. We are a family of interdependent and mission-focused communities devoted to an ongoing encounter with God, whom Jesus of Nazareth has made known to us. Compelled and energized by the love given to us by his spirit, we will take our place in his story to transform the world by proclaiming through word and deed the good news of the reign of God. So the reason for reviewing this story today is not to long for the good old days because we are, we are a community of memory and a community of hope. And so as we look to the past and we tell the stories of the past, we're not telling them to somehow go back to the good old days. But we're also a community of hope where we, we look to the finale. We look to the kingdom come in fullness. But between the past and the future, we have a God who's walking with us in the present, who's here today. And how he comes and how we encounter him may change, but we know that it will always be consistent with this story. So in a minute, we're going to pray, come Holy Spirit. We're going to invite him to come again. And we found out later, the vineyard found that Gregory the Great prayed that prayer back in the 5th or 6th century. But it was nice for a few years thinking that we'd thought it up, right? So go to the last slide for reflection. The first thing, we, reflecting personally on this, from what you've heard of the vineyard story today, what can you see has shaped our vision and values? When you think of that hippie movement, how that most of the churches had no room for them because of how they looked, how they sounded, how they smelled, there were a few people with vision who saw, who saw them like Jesus was asked by the Father to see that boy. They saw them as sons and daughters, as children of God. Who are those people today? Yeah. 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 The invisible one. So how does our story shape us? How does our story tell us that we need to make room and, and maybe part with tradition in some ways? Community, what lessons and experience in our early roots speak to issues we're facing? Are there things we've neglected that we need to return to? And finally, in our culture, what aspects in our culture, which at first glance may seem to indicate people are abandoning God, may actually be indications of hunger for God? How could we posture ourselves to address this hunger? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this amazing story that 
somehow in your grace and mercy, we're like those laborers in the vineyard who were hired at five. At the end of the day, and so many before us have worked and sacrificed. I think of the sacrifice of Wimber when he had to keep praying when people got worse and you wouldn't let him stop even though he wanted to, that he kept going. And because of that, we have this heritage that you heal, Lord, that you, you, you still deliver people from demonic oppression. You still set captives free, drug addicts, sexual addicts, money addicts, greed addicts, materialism addicts. You workaholics, Lord, you, you deliver today. You still set captives free. And one of the main things that you gave us as a movement was the gift of expectancy. That at any moment we, could, we can expect you to break in. Father, so often we're like the disciples. And we're, we get in your way because of our lack of expectancy. Because we're ho-hum. Oh, we're just getting a routine. We're just trying to figure out Who's going to make the coffee? We're trying to fill the rotor, and we lose sight of the inbreaking kingdom that we are a part of. Renew our vision. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Revive. Renew. Set captives free. We announce the kingdom of God is here today. The reign of God is here. And Lord, maybe this is the mountaintop in here, but as we go to that park this afternoon, that's coming down off the mountain where they're blind and lame and broken, lonely. Father, we expect you to come. We expect to encounter you in the valley as well as on the, on the mountaintop. We expect to encounter you on the street, in the workplace, at schools, in our, in our, in our homes, as much as in a renewal meeting. Encounter Jesus. Live the story. Come, Holy Spirit. I'm just feeling the Lord, just something about eyes. There's just something about vision today. He's doing. One of the cures for lukewarmness, this is coming to me as I'm saying this, that Jesus told the Laodiceans, remember they were lukewarm. He said, because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Go big or go home. Don't be half-hearted about this. Either you're all in or not at all. I don't want, I, I don't want milk toast discipleship. I want, I want you to give it all you got. And, and if you're lukewarm, it's because your eyes are blind. I will give you eye salve to see. So if you're here and you just feel like the Lord... You need the Lord to renew vision in you, this vision for the kingdom. I want you just to stand. It's a bit vulnerable to do that. You feel maybe a little bit like Adam and Eve in the garden kind of, but I just feel like God wants us to respond to his word about seeing, and he wants to put eyes out. And you feel like you need that. Just stand to your feet right now. I'm going to pray for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Just come. Just walk up and down these aisles with your salve. I just see the Lord with a, 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 just a can of salve, just putting it on our eyes. Look at my son. Look at my son. Yeah. 
Christian mystics of the, of the ages believed that the eye of God was the way that we actually see God. That it was a shared eye. This kind of sounds weird, but it's like God looks at us, but we look back at him through the same eye that he's seeing us. Lord, touch our eyes that we would see. And Lord, forgive us for our unbelief. And like the father who cried out in another gospel, I believe, help my unbelief. Let it come. Just let it come. Let vision come. Let renewed expectancy come. Lord, we just bless what you're doing right now. Just renew. Just come, Lord. Come, Lord. And just wait. Just wait. This was one of the early values was just this ability to wait. Didn't have to be loud or demonstrative. Sometimes it was, but it often wasn't. Often just very quiet, deep. Lord, we repent and we ask that you forgive us where we've, we've just wandered away from this value of just expectancy. Waiting upon you. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I. I'm waiting for you before you even get there. Lord, come. Just come, Lord. Come, Lord. Just invite anyone who, who just sensing the spirit of God on you just that would like to just bless these that have stood. Just bless what they're doing. Bless their faith. Bless their response. But bless what the Father is doing right now. We just bless what you're doing, Lord. The Lord is not coming in condemnation. or He's coming in gentleness and tenderness and grace. In quietness and in confidence will be your strength. The Lord says you don't have to make it happen. You don't have to make it happen. Just let him come. Just receive. Just receive. There's so much I was reading in my devotions this morning from Psalms. Just trust. Just trust him. There's, there's, there's several people here you've been just engulfed with anxiety. Raise your hand. There's just been anxiety just engulfing you in the last couple of days. The Lord just wants to sweep. I just felt that thing about the ocean that we sang this morning. Terry Ann, I'd just like a couple people just to lay hands on her. Just, just to bless uh, her with peace right now. Holy Spirit, come to Terry Ann. The Lord says, you are the one walking on the water, Terry Ann. That song was for you. You sang it, but it was for you. This is a new day of stepping out. As you lift your eyes above the waves, if you lift your eyes above the storm. Grace and peace, grace and peace, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
Gut. Jesus. Aldona just mentioning the teacher strike and the fact that it's over and just the, the anxiety around that and with our kids going back into school and just to speak peace over our children, speak peace over our families, speak peace. Our children are, Jesus said in the gospel that I read this morning, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. If, is that ever true of our kids sometimes, eh? So Lord, we just pray for your protection and your peace over our children as they go back into our schools. And we just declare, Lord, that the greater one lives within them. Greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. And we, we remember your promise that their angels always behold the face of our Father in heaven. And so we ask for extra angels on each of our children. And as they go into high school, as they go into junior high, as they go into elementary school, or different homeschool situations where they're rubbing shoulders with others, God, we just... We just declare your blessing, that you have blessed us to make us a blessing. So we, we agree with that, Father. Well, we've come to that time where uh, it's, we need to sign our children out, but I just encourage us to just continue to pray. Maybe we can have some music quietly playing, Mark. And uh, you still need prayer. Uh, Come, come forward for prayer or just pray with one another where you are. This is great. Mm -hmm. Just praying with one another where you are and blessing one another. Uh, I can't tell you. I just, I don't know if I've seen a time in my life where this whole Holy Spirit thing has seemed so quiet and yet I have just seen such tangible, continual answers to prayer. Yeah. So it's like God is saying, I, I'm not working any less. It may look different. And we're, we're not going to see hippies. The only true hippies left are over on commercial drive. We're not going to see that necessarily again. But I'm saying, God, whatever it looks like, would you do that again? Yeah. Would you do that again? Would you like to be a part of like one more? Kind yeah. of before we... Would you do it again, Lord? Can we pray that? Yeah. Jesus, would you do it again? Lord, I grew up as a student of awakening. I've seen you move. When everybody had written off a generation, I've seen you move again and again. Would you do it again? I believe that's partly why you brought us to this building. Something about just our posture putting us here. As Gordy started to pray, uh, I just thought of Eleanor's picture again and the fact that when the kingdom of God breaks through, she said, I love that when Jesus comes back, all the dead brown grass where his light shines, it's life. And as Gordy started to pray today for us, pray for you, pray for each one of us, I just felt I was to say that Jesus says, I make all things new. I just feel like I'm to say it again. Just take it in, especially if you're one of those people that just asked for renewed vision. Or maybe you feel like you don't even know how that would come. Behold, I am making all things new. Okay? I'm making all things new. Yeah. You make 
beautiful things. Behold, I am making all things new. I think that's for you, Lynn, for worship. Yeah. Yeah. God is doing something here in this building. I so appreciate Gordy encouraging us and saying that God was giving us a new metaphor and that there is something to space, that there is something. Those of you guys who are in community with us, you know what a struggle it's been to bring our little boy to church and how much he's really disliked coming. And I don't know how many of you saw this morning that he danced, he played the drums, he waved a flag, and then he took me by the hands and said, come and dance with me, Mom. And then he said, conga line, we've got a conga line, Mom. This conga line is not big enough. We need more people. And Rose came to me afterwards and gave me a beautiful word. There is something about being here that God has brought us here as a community. There is something in my spirit that resonates with the physical beauty of this building. There is something about a beautiful space. And there is something about spiritually what God is doing. Kids who are settled, not just packs. Kids who are settled are letting their parents leave them in Sunday school when they've never left them before. There is just a different spirit here. And not that God wasn't with us on commercial drive. We all know he was there. God's doing something new. Do you want me to close? Lord, we thank you for the new thing that you are doing. We thank you in faith for every single person that stood today that asked you for new vision. We thank you in faith for what you've done in their hearts and in their vision today. And we thank you that even if we can't see it, even if it feels like a tiny seed, Lord, we're standing in a church that paid the mortgage by planting a potato patch out in the garden where the kids play now. And that they grew those potatoes and sold them to the community for years and years and years. That this church was purchased from a garden. So Lord, this is a place where you've planted us, where you've caused us to grow. So we thank you for those seeds today. But we also thank you that you could bring a magic bean and that that thing could be like a beanstalk from a fairy tale that could just grow up all of a sudden. So Lord, we thank you for the small things and we thank you for the huge things, Lord. 
We thank you that if you've just turned somebody's life around today, we believe that you can do that. We thank you that you are making all things new. And we thank you for being here today. Thank you for coming to be with us. Your presence is so sweet. As Dawn blessed us last week, would you again today cause us to take everything that you have filled us with today to be filled up and to take out to this neighborhood and all the other neighborhoods that this congregation lives in around the lower mainland, that we would take your light and your joy and the promise of your new life into our homes, our marriages, our workplaces, our relationships, our families, our children, and that we would be able to say, Jesus loves you. Come to Jesus. And that you say that to each one of us today. We give you praise and glory for what you've done in us today. You are amazing. We give you glory. I bless each one of you now to go in peace, to love and serve the Lord, that you would have a God-centered, Jesus-filled, Spirit-filled week. And I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.